Welcome to Actually Qualified, the podcast by AWPT University that shifts from influence to impact. Each week, we bring you impactful conversations with qualified guests and industry leaders, inspiring both seasoned experts and newcomers in the fitness, health, and business arena. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions bridging the gap between knowledge and practice, because at AWPT University, we believe those with qualified education and experience should have the biggest influence. Join us on Actually Qualified every week as we elevate what it truly means to be actually qualified in the industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the very first episode of Actually Qualified, the podcast where we prioritize impact over influence. Brought to you by AWPT University, I'm your host, Tara McKenzie, and I'm so excited to be bringing you another season of what was formerly known as the AWPT podcast. With this rebrand comes a level up for the show with new segments, new guests, but same focus on insightful and impactful conversations. So without further ado, today I am joined by Anna Wisnowski, who is an amazing coach based up in Queensland. Anna transitioned to full-time personal training and coaching back in 2020, right before the lockdowns when she was living in New Zealand, uh, which is a hard time for anybody to begin coaching, but she has had an amazing coaching journey and transformation story for business. And I think you'll find that super inspiring because in that time, she has gone from coaching general population clients in a commercial gym to coaching athletes and transitioning into CrossFit and gymnastics style training. Um, she's done so many different courses, which she tells us about throughout the episode and has amassed you know, over 40,000 followers on her Instagram alone. In this episode, we talk about her journey. We talk about how she she has transitioned throughout the various iterations of her career. We also talk about the differences between coaching online versus in person and the limitations as well as how she overcomes those, as well as the differences between coaching general population clients versus coaching these athletes and people in the CrossFit space. So a super interesting episode and a very exciting way to kick off season three. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the AWPT podcast. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited for this episode today. We've got some fun new segments coming up, which you get to be the guinea pig for. The first of which being some quick fire questions to get to know you. Um, we've got a mixture of some sort of fun, silly questions, but also some a bit more hard hitting, like what do you do? <laughs> How can we get to know you kind of questions? But to start with a fun one, if you could only do one exercise for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of my head, I'm going to have to go with snatches. I just love them. I love them and you can turn them into lots of things. Love that. Such a good answer. I have done, like I'm not a crossfitter or anything like that or powerlifter and I have done snatches a couple of times in my life and find them so hard. And so I have so much respect for people that can actually do them well and not fall over or do it with two kilos. So second one, a little bit more hard hitting, but we're warming into it. Um, what inspired you to become a fitness coach and how has your journey in the fitness industry shaped your approach to training and coaching? I do have a person who inspired me to be in the industry, and that was my own trainer when in, what was it? It was like 2019. 
Um, and I guess I just figured out from working with him, he was like a big mobility guy. I realized that there was more than one thing you could do as a trainer. Like I always just thought of it as like yelling at people to do burpees and squats, but <laughs> he really changed people's lives in a way that I hadn't seen before. So um, shout outs to Josh Nicholas for that one. Uh, so yeah, like he was kind of my inspo and he's just, he's a friend of mine. He is a trainer at Les Mills in New Zealand. Um, and that was it. Like I, w I was dissatisfied with my corporate job. I was looking for something else. I wanted to shift back into the field of like health and wellness and stuff. Cause I'd done my undergrad in physiology, but ended up working in marketing and management. So yeah, it was really just returning to the thing that I had always wanted to do. And I started PTing, loved it, stuck with it. I love that. And we're going to circle back to that answer um, in a little bit because I find it really interesting chatting to coaches about their background and sort of what they did prior to coaching or if that was something that they always wanted to do. So we'll circle back to that in a minute, but we'll keep going with these quick five questions. What is one daily habit or routine that contributes to your overall well-being outside of your fitness routine? Mm, I like this question. Something that I've focused on and have found really helpful is having a good wind down routine in the evening. Like I have, I had a long time where I wasn't good at or what, like didn't enjoy reading and coming back to doing some reading every night, spending time with my partner deliberately and not just kind of letting it happen incidentally, but being like, no, no, this is my time with him. Uh, and then having some time to read and wind down. I just, I fall asleep so much faster. My sleep, sleep quality is better. I wake up feeling more refreshed and I feel like my brain knows like this is sleep time now. Um, so that's probably been quite a big one. And do you read fiction or nonfiction before bed or both? Usually fiction before bed. Sometimes mm. it'll be nonfiction, but like by honestly, by 8 p.m. I have four brain cells left. <laughs> and that's compared to the five of the day. So like I don't. There is no space for further learning at that time of day for me. If I'm going to do nonfiction, that's like a, a weekend job or like an afternoon that I have, you know, the spare 20 minutes kind of thing. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. After about like 4 or 5 p.m., my brain has just like fully clocked off. <laughs> the thought of like trying to learn something new, as you say, after that point, I'm like, good luck to me. It's actually just not going to happen. But like, can I read a book about, you know, someone going around Italy murdering someone? Sure. Sounds super relaxing. Definitely. <laughs> I think I'm going to book recs after this. Yeah. <laughs> what would be your guilty pleasure? Um, whether that's food, whether that's a show, whether that's, you know, something that you're a bit like, oh, <laughs> I don't want people to know this. What is my guilty pleasure? Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> I love mindlessly watching do you know Cody Ko the YouTuber yes <laughs> yes but like I have zero time for like dating shows reality tv I do not find them interesting but weirdly I like the reactionary comment like or what is it it's mm -hmm. like content that people that are reacting to it and Cody Ko does that for like silly little dating shows on the internet and I just find it so <laughs> funny because I I think I just love his personality you know when you just get really yeah. attached to like a certain content creator's way of existing and you're just like <laughs> yeah I think I might love you um, yeah <laughs> yeah so that's like my if I'm like sitting on the bike doing zone two or if I'm cleaning the house or if I'm doing something that I generally wouldn't necessarily enjoy I will like have it stack it with Cody Co because my brain will be like woohoo dopamine we love Cody <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I fully get you because I am a big fan of the show Gogglebox for the same reason. Um, it's basically, it's very similar. Um, 
it's run through Foxtel, I think. Um, but basically it's a show where all of the, there's a whole bunch of different families or couples or whatnot all across Australia. And basically they're watching the different shows and stuff that are on for that particular week. So basically it's Foxtel's way of like promoting all of the shows that they offer. Um, but very, like they do free to air, they do all of the dating shows, they do um, documentaries that might be on Netflix, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it's the same thing. It's I can't be asked to sit through, you know, five episodes a week of The Block or Maths or something like that. But, like, I'll watch other people's reactions to it and, like, I can get a brief little summary and then I can take part in conversations in day-to-day -day life with clients who might watch it. But I don't know if you're yeah. the same with um, Cody Cove. Like, whenever I watch Gogglebox, I'm like, I could do this. I'm also hilarious. People would want to know my reactions to these things <laughs> as I'm yeah. sitting there in silence on the couch eating my food every night. Oh man, I like I have such a love-hate relationship with reaction culture like as a content machine because some mm. of it is just so bad. Uh, mm. And it, I feel like it's so hard to know whether or not you have the personality type to do that well. Like Cody obviously does, maybe Gogglebox, like the people that they select for that do. But there is so much reaction content out there that is just dry and boring. Yeah. <laughs> like why, why is this a trend? I don't, why am I watching this? So to finish up the quick five questions, what is one piece of advice you wish you had received when you were just starting your career in fitness? I think it's going to be okay. I mm. just was always so worried like I started my fitness business in 2020 two weeks before the first lockdown which like New Zealand lockdowns were fairly full-on compared to like I'm in Queensland now mm. obviously and it was much more relaxed at the time uh so it was just kind of the constant threat I guess of not just the pandemic but maybe not being good enough um and I think you know if me today Three years down the piece could go back and say to me then like no no it's like it's gonna work out you'll you'll always make something of it um of whatever position you're in I don't know that would have been the nice thing to hear uh but I think that's also just my personality forever <laughs> just like those words of affirmation be like it's it's gonna be okay like it'll it'll work itself out like yeah, have a little verbal hug. <laughs> but I think we all need that kind of affirmation sometimes and just like a reminder that one, you know, you are competent and you, regardless, like you will figure something out and also just like a bit of optimism of being like, it's going to be okay. And even if it's like not okay, like it'll be okay kind of thing. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Actually Qualified podcast. I'm Kayla, the founder of AWPT University. And if you're here, you're probably a dedicated fitness professional, personal trainer, or online coach who aspires to create an impact in the women's health and fitness industry through up-leveling your knowledge and skills, servicing your clients to the highest standard, and building a business that changes both you and your clients' lives. Because we value your continuous education and want to reward our podcast listeners who are committed to their growth and learning, we want to gift you $200 off our OG AWPT eight-week certification. This comprehensive online course covers women's anatomy and biomechanics, training and programming, female health and nutrition, training during pregnancy and postpartum, perimenopause, and so much more. Visit www.awptuniversity.com today and use the code AWPTPODCAST, one word and all uppercase, at checkout. We've also linked it in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. 
No, I think that's amazing advice. And I think so many coaches probably need to hear the same thing and like whether or not they're sort of at the start of their business journey or halfway through it or 10 years down the line, like just the nature of business and the nature of life and especially the nature of work over the last three years, as you say, like with lockdowns, I think that took a toll on a lot of trainers, whether they were just starting out or whether they were 10 years deep. Everybody had to adapt. Everybody had to pivot. But I think it's really interesting. And I want to go back, as I said, to how your career started um, if you were working in, if you fell into marketing and then transitioned only three years ago into um, your career in coaching. It was, it was my sort of like attempt to figure out how I could work in the business side of healthcare. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I had, I went to New Zealand thinking I would go to med school and did the first year of pre-med stuff, went through the interview process, whatever, um, had the flu sitting one of the main exams, didn't get in. I don't know at what stage I like didn't get in, but um, that obviously like altered my option set for careers. And I was like, okay, well maybe I'll go into healthcare, but I'll be in the business side since I'm like, you know, I'm not meant to be a practitioner, whatever, um, which maybe is a logical leap, but it's the one I made at the time. Um, <laughs> So I did this conjoint, these like like the, um, I don't know how it works here, but you can do like a double degree essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I studied both and I was like, I can either work in pharma or biotech or, you know, something like that. And I just figured I'd be in business. But by the time I got out of uni and just went to get some work experience, I was like, oh, business experience will matter more. And I just took what was offered to me. And uh, I hated it. I hated everything about it. I hated being in an office. I hated being in a corporate setting I hated sitting at a desk I hated being inside I had like all of it was just I could not hack it I was like Mm. no I'm not built for this um and my extremely toxic team that I worked with pushed me to seek other options and I was like okay maybe I'll be a PT outside of work and just have like a job hobby and then I went to PT school and I was like oh no this is this will be my job like forget the rest of this this is what I want Yeah, that's so interesting. And I find like is often, I think is quite a common story for a lot of coaches. I find rarely do people go straight off the bat into coaching. Often there's some kind of journey that got them there in the first place. And I think it's such a good reminder for maybe people listening that are in that kind of like half in, half out kind of um, state where they're, it's it's so not even easy because like it's not necessarily an easy experience being in a job that you hate, but we're taught to like want security and not even taught because like in some ways obviously we need an element of security in order to like live a a good life and a comfortable life but I think that security element is often wrapped up in this idea of like a stable nine-to-five job where you're getting a salary you've got a boss you know the responsibility is on them all of that kind of stuff and yeah so many people don't like don't suit that particular lifestyle um, and also don't necessarily like the stuff that they're doing or like yourself you know have passions outside of that and are more passionate about the you know the act of actually helping people and having a direct impact rather than that kind of indirect impact 
So how did you how did you navigate that transition? Obviously, you said you know you were highly encouraged by your team to seek other options. So you know maybe that wasn't <laughs> it was like a not so gentle push. But sometimes also you need that push. Like sometimes you need to hit the rock bottom on the one side of the fence to be like I actually just like need to get out. Um, how did you navigate that transition? Um, by putting in a lot of hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I kept that corporate job from when I started in PT stuff in February through till August. So I would, uh, when we were not in lockdown, I would uh, get up, go do a couple of PTs in the morning, then go to job, job, like corporate job. Mm. And then I would go back to the gym and train myself at lunch, then go back to job then go back to the gym and do a few more clients after work. Uh, so I just I just worked really long days. That's how I did it. And then I had a number in my head basically for like once I am able to achieve revenue X out of PT, I'll be able to quit my corporate job and like not be destitute. Um, and I hit that number way faster than I thought I was going to. And in August, I actually hit the number where I was – earning as much from PT as I was from my corporate job. So I was like doing relatively wow. well. That was like my pre-tax revenue, not my take home, but still it was like, that's okay. I'm like, I'm fine. Um, and then I quit my corporate job. And then two weeks later, we went into another lockdown. <laughs> it's just like that every time I started doing something with PT, <laughs> we'd go into another lockdown. But I also think like in many ways that was, a very good thing because it forced me to figure out the online thing right off the bat. Whereas, as you said, like trainers who had been in the industry for 10 years had to overhaul their entire understanding of like how this business works where like, you know, if you're agile from day one, you're, you're probably in a better position than having to do all of that mental work. So um, it was good. So, I mean, I, I have done online since, since I started basically. I love that. Do you have um, a particular niche when it comes to coaching? Because I think it's always really interesting talking to coaches because I think often, whether it's intentional or not, we end up coaching people that kind of remind us of ourselves maybe when we first started getting into the industry or, you know, the type of people that we, you know, wanted to become? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know I'm primarily in like the CrossFit and mm. gymnastics kind of space. But um, in terms of the people that tend to come to me, I would say for nutrition, there's a very clear demographic. And that's usually people who are like, I know what I need to do, but I'm not able to execute it. And they're either they either know what's getting in the way and they want help with like navigating that or they don't know what's getting in the way. And that actually comes down to like motivational or relationship with food or deeper things. So with nutrition, yeah, it's super clear to me who comes and seeks me out for coaching. For training, I would say there's probably a little bit more variety. But at the moment, it's pretty often people who are like, have done the CrossFit classes thing for a while, they want to start cracking past what they think their class setting will offer them. And they're wanting to get into that sort of like intermediate RX space and develop their gymnasty or Olympic lifting or, or whatever skills there without losing touch with the sport and fun side of, of CrossFit. Like people do it because they like that variety. So, um, yeah, that's kind of 
loose terms around that, but I would say people who, again, are like, I know I need to be more specific about my focus with training, but I don't know how to execute that and still enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's like people that are sort of have a base level understanding, but they're looking for that next level up. So when you started your sort of PT journey, did you go directly into that CrossFit gymnastics space or was it more the traditional kind of like strength hypertrophy commercial gym kind of stuff first? Yeah, it was it was commercial gym. So I didn't step into a CrossFit gym until 2021. So just a couple years ago um and that first year I was primarily focused on like strength hypertrophy and mobility stuff because like I said that was what my trainer at the time had done so I was like oh I'll just I'll kind of follow in his footsteps and see what I can learn from this so I did um I did an FRC cert and then soon after that I did a PRI course um and just kind of kept collecting these sort of like mobility and rehab adjacent type things and I thought I wanted to go into more like rehabby you know like that like post rehab phase coming back to sport type uh area but then when I like I tried CrossFit basically a a friend just said come along to the gym and do a wad with us um and then I started playing with it myself and it was in 2022 that I went to a CrossFit gym to work so that it's like all of this is really new to me (laughs) Mm, no, that's I, that's so interesting because I would have maybe assumed that, you know, if you're doing the gymnastics kind of crossfit style um, training, that maybe that's what your background was sort of always in. Um, but, yeah, I love that. And I think a lot of coaches do this as well. You know, as you find new avenues that you enjoy, you, you sort of bring that into your scope as well yeah that's what I was saying. it was like there was some background there so I did gymnastics when I was like a small child and then I left gymnastics and went back as a teenager so I was a little bit out of place in that sense because most of the people I was with had been doing gymnastics their whole lives but I went back and was kind of like not very strong I was a little bit overweight compared to the rest of them and like had to really kind of start from scratch in many ways Uh, And when I went to CrossFit, obviously I had the carryover of being able to do some of those movements, but I also was looking around the room and seeing people reflecting the same feelings I had when I was a teenager of being like, I can't do this thing. I'm not as good as those people and like feeling less than. And I was like, oh, there are a lot of people in this gym feeling less than because they don't have a bar muscle up or because blah, 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 blah. Um, And I think that sort of resonance was part of how I was like, oh, I think this could be part of what I want to do. Cause like, I know that feeling. That feeling is unpleasant. And if I can help, then that's a really fun avenue for me to coach because, uh, A, I feel like I don't carry the same assumptions that a lot of gymnastics coaches have, which is like perfection and, you know, like lots of things that come with gymnastics culture because I wasn't marinating in that for most of my childhood. Um, And also like I feel that I have the skill set or am building the skill set to be able to communicate those things differently to other coaches. Uh, so that's how I ended up here was just then I started making content and content stuck enough that I did that. Yeah, 100%. Like the element of relatability and empathy, I think, is what makes a really good coach. Um, because there's that care factor there. I think there are other elements in terms of, you know, knowing how to communicate, knowing how to educate, knowing how to like explain things and show things and teach people. 
But I think at the base of all of that, to be a really good coach, you need to actually care about the client and about the individual. And so having that kind of element of relatability of, oh, I know what that person is probably experiencing when they set foot into a CrossFit gym for the first time or when they see, you know, someone else performing a muscle up and thinking, oh, well, I could never do that. Or I wish I could do that, but I have nowhere, like, I don't know where to start because I, you know, I haven't been doing this for years and I bet they've just been doing it for 10 years. And so they're a natural or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, I think that is at the, or is the foundation for a really good coach. I'd like to think so. (laughs) I wonder too, in terms of the type of coaching and, you know, your method of coaching now, are you face-to-face now are you a mixture of face-to-face and online are you purely online I'm a mixture of face-to-face and online so I I accept basically up to 20 online clients uh for programming and then around the same for nutrition um and I do not a lot of PTs in a week, but usually like it could be as low as one, it could be as high as five. Um, and then I'm CrossFit coaching on top of that. So I do, what do I do? I do four classes a week and I do an Olympic lifting class at my gym. So anywhere between like four and six or 10, I guess, nine or 10 hours a week of in-person and then online is makes up the rest of it. And how do you find or do you even with your online clients, do you incorporate much of that sort of gymnastics, CrossFit style training? And how do you approach coaching those skills online versus in person? Yeah, most of the people that come to me are asking specifically for CrossFit gymnastics stuff or they want a program that includes that stuff but also allows them to carry on their other training stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I had a conversation with one of my clients who has now been with me for like most of this year, actually, I guess. I think we started in like April or something. And when she originally sent in an inquiry, she was like, is it as good as in-person coaching? And I replied, no, of course it's not. Like, no. (laughs) Uh, A, you're not paying the same. You're not with with the person. You're not receiving in the moment feedback, it is not as good, as fast, as efficient as doing a PT every week with someone. By nature, it cannot be. But you can still see progress. You can work with whoever you want, whoever you feel like you click with. Um, and there are lots of ways that we can work around that, uh, you know, inability to access each other in person. So um, she signed on because she was like, I can't believe how honest you were. <laughs> It's like, sorry, bro. That's what you did. And she has made immense progress. Like she went from can't kick up and do a handstand to now she's holding them for like 30 seconds. And, um, you know, there are, there are pieces of the puzzle that are harder to coach, particularly stuff like the hip extension component of a bar muscle up is really tricky for a lot of people. And I have spent so many hours combing the internet trying to find more and more drills to do it but everyone kind of coaches it in a very similar way and it's just hard for some people so like there are pieces of online coaching that you have to accept are probably never going to be as fluid as coaching in person but I think as long as you are honest and upfront with people about like here's how it works here's what you can expect here is your role and here is my role and here's how we can make that as you know synergistic as it can be for your success uh 
people are fairly receptive to that concept and they're like, eh, I'll, I'll, if I'm, if I'm moving forward, I'm happy. That's what, how mm. most people feel. And as you say, I think if you lay the expectations that no, obviously it's not going to be the same as if I'm there with you in person, physically able to sort of like maneuver your hips in this position or like touch this particular muscle for mind to muscle connection. Like, obviously there is going to be a difference. There's also, you know, as you say, that like delayed feedback as well, but you know, what are the ways that we can, you know, whether it's work around that or, you know, make the best out of what we have in terms of like send me as many videos as possible and I will give you feedback on those videos um, because I can't be there with you in person or like, um, yeah, you know, picking the demonstration videos or even doing and filming them yourself as you would if you were in person and then loading that into the particular app that you might use. You know, whatever it may be is like trying to make the online experience as good as it can be knowing that there is this sort of cap on well, I'm, I'm not there with you in person. So we just have to accept that. And I suppose you said too, that a lot of the people that you are working with, whether that's in the nutrition context or whether that is in the training context, come to you with some kind of basic understanding anyway. And they are looking for that sort of like next level up. So it's not like you have to, in all cases, you know, teach it to a complete beginner in which case you know maybe they might actually need someone there with them in person to like fully understand the movement with that in mind I suppose what do you think changes when you're coaching you know athletes versus you know general population clients I don't really work with that much gen pop anymore <laughs> mm. or like I work with the the I don't know what how loosely you define athlete for yourself but like everyone that I work with is mentally highly engaged with their sporting outcomes. So to me, they're an athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, I did work with more general population people who kind of like just wanted to get off the couch when I was in a commercial gym. Um, but the things I'm coaching now don't really apply to those people. Like I'm so much more specific than I was them. Uh, so like the things that change basically everything. Um, yeah. But the things that apply across all of them are that they need variety of movement. They need to train in positions that they are currently unfamiliar with. They need to learn to control their center of mass. Like there are lots of things that overlap between all populations. And then the more athletic clients, it's just the specificity of what I'm trying to get them to do. Um, so lots of base pieces of the program would be similar between a gen, gen pop client and a more specific crossfit or a hybrid, whatever you want to call it, athlete. But, um, you know, I'm not going to tell gen pop that they need to learn a toes to bar because that's yeah. dumb. <laughs> Fair. And you kind of touched on it a little bit there in terms of, you know, the difference between a sort of higher level athlete I say in quotation marks in the way that you sort of describe anyone that has like a high level interest in a particular sport as an athlete um versus just a general population I want to learn how to move more or like I need to move for my health kind of gen pop client with and in and amongst those athlete clients what would you say are some other 
I guess, commonalities between those athlete clients in terms of the way that they might approach their training or their nutrition or their motivation or discipline? I mean, again, I, st- I, th- I think there are more similarities than differences. I think, uh, you know, we like to assume that athletes need more motivation than general population, but like difficult is relative. If it's difficult for Gen Pop to show up to the gym and lift weights for 20 minutes and hop on a cardio machine for 10, 15, 20 minutes, like if that's hard for them, it can also be hard for an athlete training for a specific outcome to show up to the gym and slog through 70, 80 minutes of something that is difficult to them. Like, I just, I really don't know that from a motivation or showing up or like execution of difficulty perspective, I don't know that it is that different. I think it's just what they are training that that varies between them. Uh, and it would be either uh, an underestimation of gen pop or an overestimation of athletes to believe there's a huge delineation there. Mm, fair enough. And I suppose with that in mind, would you say that there's probably not a huge difference from a coaching perspective in terms of you know, your expectations for an athlete client versus a gen pop or, or would there be a bit more of not even a difference necessarily in expectations because I think in an ideal world we have high expectations of our clients in the same way that we have high expectations of ourselves and we just want them to sort of to put in the work to get the outcome that they want in the same way that we're putting in the work to get the outcome that they want as well. But in terms of your um coaching style maybe in terms of how like strict you might be or how much you're pulling up or how much of a focus there is on like the technicalities of things is there a change in your approach I think the change would be primarily in expectation setting so for example I'm thinking of a nutrition client who was a weightlifter and she needed to make weight for a competition that was in November oh it was actually about a, it was a month ago today um and for the first few weeks of our cut for her, she really struggled with like social eating and stuff like that, which is a super common issue that both gen pop and athletes struggle with. Um, and gen pop trying to lose weight and social eating is hard enough. But if you're then trying to make weight on a timeline, that's when it's like, no, no, like we have a lot less flexibility here for you to be able to achieve this goal. And that kind of just took her a while to wrap her head around because in previous iterations of our coaching, I had said like, I want you to be able to enjoy these social meals and there's no pressure right now. So like you should be able to enjoy it. And it was a big mental gear shift for her to go from that mindset into like, okay, but now I'm on a timeline. And if I don't hit my kind of targets close enough within the span of a few weeks, then I'm going to run into trouble. Um, And that process did like it cost us a few weeks of like not making the rate of progress that she needed to make and then we got down to like okay it's crunch time and we have to push harder than we want to uh but I think she learned so much from that crunch time period of like really having to dial it in quite tightly that she's far more prepared for future cuts if she has to do it again to know like what level of expectation or rather what level of input will lead to the level of output that she needs for the sport. So I I really think that like most of what you're talking about comes down to expectation setting for the athlete and for the 
like for your relationship with the coach and the athlete um, and saying like, look, if this is the outcome you want, this is the input you need. And therefore, here is the set of behaviors that we have to achieve. And if those sets of behaviors are beyond the scope of what you're willing or able to do right now, that is actually entirely okay. But we then need to change your expectations about the inputs, outputs and, and later outcomes of this whole process. So like the conversation is it's the same just with gen pop. It's more like the outcome might be, you know, they want to lose five kg or they want to play with their kids or, you know, like those are softer outcomes that you can push on whatever timeline. Whereas for an athlete, um, sometimes they have to be tighter to a plan because of the outcomes that they want. Um, but no, I really do think it's down to expectation. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And you even raised too that with those within those expectations, you know, depending on how long you have a particular client for, those expectations may shift throughout, you know, your relationship with that client in line with their goals shifting as well. And so, you know, being able to communicate with your client and like come up with an action plan and and communicate that you know, those expectations have changed and like, how do you have those kind of conversations? And especially as you say, in, in this example with this particular client, you might've had a softer approach, you know, previously because the goals were different and the goals, you know, were, were potentially softer, you know, in quotation marks. Um, whereas then when it's coming up to a deadline of a weigh-in or of a particular competition, like, again, those expectations are going to change. And so therefore your approach is going to change and so their expectations of you as a coach is also going to have to change um and so yeah being able to sort of communicate those changes and shift and shift smoothly so that there you don't come across you know friction I guess in terms of the relationship with the client yeah uh I suppose lastly to wrap this up you you talked about some of the different qualifications that you added on and the different resources that you sought out when you were making that shift from you know the commercial gym um strength and hypertrophy style coaching to that more athletic hybrid crossfit style training if we have coaches listening to this podcast that are wanting to make those shifts can you talk a little bit more about the different types of courses that you did or the different qualifications that you sought out in order to get you to your level of expertise today? I can, but I don't know that I would recommend any, like, <laughs> I don't know that I would tell people to replicate my path. I learned something from each of those courses that was valuable, but the way that I reflect on those courses multiple years down the track is very different to how I utilized them at the time. Um, and I think that that's natural and normal when you do lots mm -hmm. of courses like that. And each tool that you add to the belt allows you to reframe the previous tools and, and look at them with a new lens. Um, so what have I done? I did, I think FRC was the first one that I did. They are, what are they? Functional range conditioning. Um, mm -hmm. So they do a lot of like athlete specific mobility stuff, increasing ranges and, and stuff like that. Um, I did the PRI pelvis course um, again, I don't know that that's one coaches need to do. There's lots of information about PRI, uh, which is Postural Restoration Institute. If you want to learn about those, you can learn about that concept in so many places without having to do the PRI course. Um, I did uh, Richie Patterson weightlifting levels one and two to coach some weightlifting stuff. Um, again, I would say like Richie is a really good 
coach from a pedagogical lens and his storytelling is second to none like a great great guy great stories great coaching concepts and principles but I have so many other ways that I look at weightlifting now um so it's worth kind of collecting knowledge from various places too uh what else have I done I did Angus Bradley's mentorship that one I would recommend that's a that is you get a blanket recommendation from me on that one um (laughs) I'm doing Jamie Smith's business course at the moment. Um, oh, and Josh Smith, another Smith, the great Jay Smith. Uh, I did hero nutrition mentoring. That one I cannot recommend enough. Anyone who coaches nutrition or dietetics or even just is a coach who wants to improve their skills around motivational interviewing, understanding clients, meeting them where they're at, um, coaching skills as against just like, so many of the courses I've done have been like this specific set of biomechanics. Oh, Gary Ward, Anatomy in Motion. That one was really well worth it. Biomechanics of the lower limb. That one I would recommend to people. But Josh, Josh Smith's one that I was talking about, like it is so good to be coached on coaching and have someone who reflects back how you're doing as a coach, your interpersonal skills. And that is something that I haven't seen many places in the industry. And it is so valuable. Um, He also happens to be just like one of the best humans to walk the earth, but like he does a great job of the job he does. Um, So that's one that like, again, blanket recommendation. Everyone should do that. Um, Oh, and David Gray. I've done a David Gray seminar and I follow David Gray. What's his DGRI? David Gray Rehab Interactive is his like online portal. Um, And so he releases weekly sometimes twice weekly videos for coaches who coaches and therapists who want to improve their understanding of biomechanics, particularly of the lower limb. He does some upper limb stuff as well, which is obviously highly useful for me to as a gymnastics coach. But um, yeah, David Gray, another one I have, I have bought all of his programs. I have drunk all of the Kool-Aid he has to offer and I really like his platform as well. So uh, yeah, to reiterate, of the courses that I've done, which are several, the ones that get a like, everyone should do these, David Gray, Angus Bradley, and Josh Smith. That's, yeah, that's, you know, you've done so much. And I do think it is helpful because, as you say, like there are so many different courses and programs and um, ebooks or videos and all masterclasses. Like there's so much stuff out there. It is hard. And I'm sure you recall as, you know, a coach coming into the industry being like, what the fuck do I do now? I've done my cert three and four. Like, (laughs) I don't know what's next. Um, So yeah, I think it is nice to have like different endorsements. If people are looking at you and being, you know, super inspired by the type of work that you're doing in terms of, yeah, your, your endorsement or your recommendation, I'm sure like means a lot. Um, But equally too, I think what you said about, you know, you don't, it's, it's not about copying or fully replicating somebody else's path. And as you say, like some courses might be worth it. Some you can get from, like you can get the gist of or further understanding by seeking that information elsewhere. And not necessarily, you don't have to pay like $5,000 for, for a course on it. You can sort of do the research on your own or, or whatnot or find another way of getting to that information. But I think it's a good reminder that, you know, there is so much information out there. And in order to be a good coach, like you do need to seek out, you know, further education, because I think those Cert 3 and Cert 4 courses that a lot of people do, or that you obviously you have to do in order to be a coach, they're such 
base level um, information. And so if you want to get anywhere in the industry, further education is so important. But one of the points that you raised there that I thought was um, a really valid one that I did just want to sort of put a pin in um, to emphasize is, you know, seeking out ways of improving your actual coaching ability and sort of that art of coaching that we talked about earlier. Um, Because you're right, there is a lot to be said for learning more about, you know, the facts of biomechanics or nutrition and like the actual sort of theory there. But then if you can't apply it or empathize with your clients or communicate it with your clients and that's all you know just redundant nice information for you to have for your own training um, but your clients get nothing out of that so yeah I think it's definitely going to be a big shift hopefully in the industry in terms of the types of professional development for coaches is more of that kind of art of coaching style um, education and I think, yeah, that like direct feedback is is really helpful that you must have in that kind of course. hundred percent. I think it's probably the most overlooked piece of coaching further education because like obviously I've done lots of courses and stuff, but that was probably the one that I felt I got the most back from in terms of like, I only did it for four, was it five months or four? It wasn't that long because it, like, it's like a monthly subscription type thing. Um, and I didn't do it for that long. And I was like, I got so much more out of this than I have from like all of those other courses combined, because now I can apply everything from all of those other courses more effectively because I'm a better coach for doing it. Um, And even in terms of a return of investment, you know, if you are able to, like, if you're learning the skills to be able to apply things with with your clients, that is also going to have more of a direct impact, I think, on client retention and sales and, you know, getting new clients to begin with versus like a a client, especially a gen pop client, isn't going to know what a level three weightlifting course entails or like a, I don't know, level two clean health kind of, like they don't know what that means. And so, you know, that's good information for you to have that's going to up-level the type of training or programming or meal planning, whatever it is that you're doing to get them results. But in terms of a bit more of a direct return on investment, I think more of those kind of coaching style professional development courses are going to give you that faster. Totally. And, and like, as you highlighted there, clients do not ask. I did my nutrition cert through Sports Nutrition Association. Zero clients have asked me where it was from. Like, not even one. So um, yeah, like clients don't care. They care that you're able to execute on what you know uh, and that what you know will help them in the right direction. So um, that's why, you know, like listing the courses you've done doesn't necessarily apply to clients. It maybe applies to other coaches, but um, yeah, be be a good communicator. That matters more. So I think that is a perfect place to wrap up this episode. So in order to wrap things up, can you tell us where people can find you? What are your social media platforms? What are your coaching portals? All of that kind of stuff so that, you know, people can follow along on your journey or reach out to you. Absolutely. Uh, my main is always going to be Instagram, at um, Anna Wish Fitness, wish like wish on a star. Um, I'm on TikTok as well, very poorly, very inactive, but trying to become more active. Um, I'm at coach and a wish on there 
Um, and I'm Anna Wish Fitness on YouTube as well, which I will probably start doing more with in 2024. Uh, and my website is annawish.net. Perfect. I will have all of those linked in the show notes of today's episode. Thank you, Anna, so much for coming on today's episode. I've absolutely loved this conversation and I know our listeners are going to get so much value out of it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tara. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the Actually Qualified podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content. Catch you next time.